Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. How would, how would a church really get to that? I think it's a, an air of pride or vanity that allows that to begin. Either you've hurt my feelings and I'm not going to forgive you, or I just flat out feel superior over you. And you know what? That happens within a church. I'm, I'm an old enough dog to have seen that trick many times. Within the body of Christ. Not having patience for one another. Not not taking the, uh, the, the account of the scripture that says, hey, you guys that are spiritual, you ought to be helping the ones that are struggling. There are a number of reasons why a church experiences division, but certainly not having patience for one another can be a very divisive thing. The Word of God exhorts to strengthen each other and encourage one another to love and good deeds. But as Pastor David points out, it often doesn't work out that way. Every church, out of obedience to Christ, must learn to follow Jesus' example by growing in love and putting personal differences aside to further God's work for the glory of Christ. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, A Church Divided. the church is divided, it's not going to stand. Uh, it won't prosper. It, it won't have any impact on the community, and it won't last. You know, a church divided becomes the gossip point of the community. Oh, do you hear what happened over, yeah, that church over there? Yeah, they ran the pastor off, and now this and all of this is going, and that's going, and, you know, it be, we become mockery for the world, And beloved, when we become mockery for the world, you know what? Our Jesus is being mocked because we are to be the body of Christ. And the body of Christ divided will not stand. And you know what? It will not last. When they nail the name Ichabod on the front of a church door, what a horrible thing. The spirit is left. No more life in it. Division is such a horrible thing to happen to the body of Christ. And, and Paul has every right to be concerned with this church. The, the church was going in different directions. They were speaking different things. And it was bringing about all kinds of divisions. He tells them that they all need to speak the same way. Now, this could have been dealing with major doctrinal issues. Hey, in these major doctrinal issues, you guys need to be of one heart and one mind and one understanding. And although it's touched on a little bit later, I don't think that's really the problem here that we see in this letter. It could have been the direction of the church's ministries. You know, one ministry is going over here and one ministry over there. But again, we don't really see that much later in the letter as far as bringing correction. It would appear to be the problem that the simple unity 
of the church, the, the oneness of the church, had been undermined by this desire to, to, to form up into divisions. And from what we find in the context of, of what Paul has written here, it would appear as though these divisions actually dealt with superior spirituality, spiritual snobbiness, okay? You know what I mean? Uh, kind of a one-upsman spirituality that's going on. Listen to what he warns them of here. He says, there shouldn't be any divisions among you. He says, you need to be perfectly joined together. He says, you need to be in or of the same mind. You need to be in or of the same judgment. And then he goes on to tell them that there's pretty sufficient evidence, again, for his concern and for the accusations that he's making. Look at verse 11. It's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those from Chloe's house, that there's contentions among you. There's a battle going on. And now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Well, who was it that came from Chloe's household? We have no way of knowing. And I'd say, well, that's probably some snitch from the church of Corinth. No, I think it was somebody that probably had a real heartbreak over what was going on in their church. And they probably went to Paul and said, man, Paul, we need your help. We're falling apart. We're, we're so divided. We're, it's not the unity. And, you know, it's interesting when a church first starts at the very early stages, it's small, intimate group, everybody knows everybody, everybody knows everybody's kids and everything, and then everything is wonderful and sweet and all united. And then as the church grows pretty soon, then it starts spreading out and spreading out, and pretty soon, it's not that you don't know everybody. The sad part comes is when you don't know anybody. And you know what? That's not the church's fault. I want to let you know that. That's not the church's fault that you don't know anyone. The fault of that is the person that you see in the mirror every day. Because again, you need to reach out. You need to, again, touch, speak with, come apart. Because again, if there's not that unity, beloved, I guarantee you, in the void, the enemy is going to bring division. If there is not unity, the enemy will bring division. It might have been hard for them to share with the apostle that The church that he started just a few years ago, it's an absolute mess. It's an absolute mess. But I'm glad that they did. I'm glad that they shared with Paul because now Paul had a chance to come back and and, and, in a positive manner kind of see these problems through and work through these problems. Now, it's it's another thing to murmur and, and complain about a situation and only adding to the problems, okay? And you know the difference, right? Shake your head like this, okay? You know the difference between murmuring and complaining versus, hey, I'm really concerned. What can I do to help? What can I do to be the answer rather than being a continuation of the problem? And you see, if there's divisions, if there's cliques, then all of a sudden it's, 
you know, group A over here, well, group B, you ought to see those guys. They just never do anything. And the, you know, we're the ones that are doing everything. And if old group B would get their deal. And over here is group C, and they're saying, well, group A and B, you've seen those guys. You've seen how often they come. We're the ones that are supporting the whole thing. And if we weren't there, the whole thing would collapse. And then pretty soon, it, you know, the whole thing is a mess. Rather than coming together in the unity of one body in Christ, whispering, sneaking around, never does any good. So I'm going to tell you tonight right here, if you're a whisperer, stop it. Okay, just stop it. Now, I also need to attest right now because some of you are like really worried. Wow, is there like a lot of divisions going on in our church? Are we about to fall apart? You know, thus far... I don't think so. Nobody's told me, okay? Uh, Thus far, I I see the Lord doing a great work here within the body, and there seems to be a a really great unity within the believers. And I see what's going on here in Corinth. I'm saying, okay, there's some stuff in Corinth I know we're going to have to deal with face on because, man, that's us right there. But praise God, I don't think there is a division. If there is, come talk to me later, okay, quietly, and just you and I. Yeah, but don't whisper. Yeah, we'll go in my room. It's a mature believer that's willing to face up to the problems and, and, and to bring it to the attention of those that can actually bring correction and discipline if necessary. When you see the problem here in Corinth, you wonder, how does a church body get to this shape? How does a church body get to where they are so divided? What, what has to take place in the heart and the mind for this kind of pettiness to really flourish? And to flourish to the point that it causes contentions and divisions among brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you stop and think about that for a moment, and do this for a moment, if you will, think about who we are in Christ. We are, as believers, a portion of the body of Christ. We are a micro portion of the great body of Christ. I understand that. But when we come together as the fellowship known as Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, we within ourselves have determined to come together as family, as family to serve and to minister and to be ministered to in this local body. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we get men and women who desire to follow the Lord Jesus, whose heart is surrendered to him, how do we get from that point to the point that I don't like you anymore? I'm going to sit over here because you're sitting over there. I'm going to come in that door because you always come in that door. How do we get to that? How would, how would a church really get to that? I think it's a, an air of pride or vanity that allows that to begin. Either you've hurt my feelings and I'm not going to forgive you, or I just flat out feel superior over you. And you know what? That happens within a church. I'm, I'm an old enough dog to have seen that trick many times. Within the body of Christ. Not having patience for one another. Not, not taking the, uh, the, the account of the Scripture that says, hey, you guys that are spiritual... You ought to be helping the ones that are struggling. You guys ought to be the ones that are lifting up instead of this spiritual kind of attitude. I've made it too bad about you, okay? I mean, the word is replete with that idea and that understanding that, no, we come up and we, we strengthen those weak hands. We, we, we help, help stabilize those feeble knees. 
We encourage one another. We build each other up. We serve each other. These are the kinds of things that would not allow this to happen if we had that kind of a heart. If a church would maintain that kind of a heart of service to one another, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, but in humility serving one another, we wouldn't see these kind of divisions. We're going to see it played out, this idea of vanity and pride on through this whole letter to the Corinthians. And that's why I think that that's where the problem really got going. But also here we're going to see that they use the names of the men that had faithfully declared the gospel message to them and even the Lord Jesus Christ as, as a dividing line between the parties. And what a great dishonor that is to these men. Paul had begun the work in Corinth several years prior to writing the letter. There's no doubt that many within that congregation, they'd come to Christ directly as a result or under his teaching. There's no doubt about that. Apollos was a great orator of the Word of God. And when he came to Corinth, again, surely many had come to salvation through his teachings. And then there's some that apparently had, had come to Christ. Uh, maybe they had been in Judea, uh, had come under the teachings of the Apostle Peter. Maybe they had been there at the day of Pentecost when Peter shared at that day, and they were among the thousands that came to Christ. Each one of these men, Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, or, or Peter, each one of these men had, had different personalities, different gifts, different mannerisms, and yet they all proclaim the same message. Maybe one did it in a variety of, of stories and illustrations. Maybe that's how he shared the message. Maybe one did it with a lot of humor in his message, and maybe one had this great deal of passion in how he proclaimed. And yet it was all the message of Christ and him crucified. Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You don't need to turn there. But he says, man, I, I preached the truth of the gospel he says, brethren, I declared to you the gospel, which I, number one, I preached to you. Number two, which you received. Number three, in which you stand. And number four, in which you are saved. Paul said, man, all I did was preach the gospel to you. Did he preach it with stories and illustrations? I don't know. Did he preach it with a little humor inserted every now and then? I don't know. Was he passionate about the message? Oh, I believe Paul was passionate about everything. The only thing that truly matters is the fact that he presented the truth of the message and they received that truth without compromise. He says, you guys are coming in. He says, in verse 12, he says, I say to you, each one of you says, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas and I'm of Christ. You know what? There's no doubt that a lot of us, we have a favorite Bible teacher of a favorite pastor. There's no doubt about that. Maybe it's the one that you sat under when you came to Christ. Maybe they were the ones that ministered to you or your family during a particular uh, time or a season of trials in your life. Maybe you just seem to digest their teachings a little bit easier than, than others, whatever it might be. Whatever the case is, they're, they're simply a tool and they are an instrument used by the Lord Jesus for his glory. Now, personally, I love Alistair Begg. And some of my Calvary Chapel friends might say, oh, but he's not a Calvary Chapel guy. That's okay, man. He is a great expositor of the Word. I love listening to the man preach. Uh, he just seems to bring the Word home. He, he, he lays it right out very clear. And, 
for me, it's just a pleasure to listen to him. And of course, with a Scottish accent, he just sounds more intelligent, you know. <laughs> I love listening to him. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not a disciple of Alistair Begg. I love his teaching. But I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's the one that I'm following. He's the one that I'm focused on because you know what? Even an Alistair Begg could fall. So see, as soon as our focus gets on men, we set ourselves up for damage. We set ourselves up for division. We set ourselves up for possible heartbreak and damage. Again, I, I, I fully understand the fact that Alistair, as well as all the others who preach, who, who proclaim the true word of God, that they are instruments within the hand of the master. And as good as the messenger might be, beloved, we need to remember to focus on the message of the master, okay? It is the message that we focus on. And again, it's really interesting that Paul brings out that not only were some saying that I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas or Peter, but there was also that group that declared, I'm of Christ. Now, when you first look at that, you think, well, well, those guys, they're the ones that got it right. Uh, well, man, no, I'm of Christ. Yeah, that's what we ought to be. But I think in the context of what he's saying, I think that they were saying that was spiritual pride. Oh, really? I came to Jesus during his earthly ministry. I was one of his early disciples. In the context of it, I don't think that I'm pulling too far there because if I'm truly a disciple of Christ, I'm not divisive. I'm not trying to be a one-upsmanship or spiritual snobbiness. I'm desiring to see the body of Christ come together without a cause of any further division. I, I, I look around the room, and I realize, and I, I understand that there's many of you here that have come from a variety of theological and doctrinal backgrounds. I understand that. I understand that every time I come and teach before you, that there is a variety here, a huge variety. Huge variety of background, huge variety of maturity. We've got some that are unlearned in the things of God and some that could do just as good a job sitting here and speaking. I understand that. I know that some have come to this church from church traditions that literally reach back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And I also know that there's some things that you and I may not agree on because you're wrong on a few things. No. Uh, <laughs> see, that's spiritual pride right there, okay? That there's going to be some things that, that you and I are not going to agree on. And there's most likely some things that you and I, in a friendly manner, we could sit and we could open up our Bibles and we could debate all day long or two or three pots of coffee, and when we're finished, still not agree 100%, but walk away as brother or sister together. In the essentials of the faith, we need to be united. We must be united. And beloved, if we're not, as I said, the enemy will bring in division. And there needs to be, within each one of us, that willingness to let the other one be a little bit different, okay? To be a little bit different, and that's okay. Because on the essentials, we agree. 
because on the essentials of the faith, and we'll speak about that as we're going through the book of Corinthians, but even as Paul says, no, I, I, I preach to you the fullness of the gospel. Christ was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. The reality that Christ died for the sin of mankind, that it's only through Christ that salvation is gained. There's, there's several things that are essentials to the faith that you and I need to hold on to. But please understand that there can be diversity in the midst of unity. Hopefully you understand that, especially if you're married, okay? You, 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 hopefully by now you've understood that there is diversity and yet unity, One of the things that a pastor told me years ago, he says, if we're all the same, only one of us is necessary. If we're all the same, only one of us is necessary. So God has placed, even within his body, a diversity, a diversity of gifts, a diversity of callings, diversity of personalities. I have friends in this city, I I dare say I have friends literally that are around the world right now. They differ in Christian beliefs. They minister with a diversity of, of spiritual gifts. And yet, even in that, we agree on the essentials of the faith, and we can stand and we should stand united because we are in Christ. There's some that I know, man, you're, he's my brother, she's my sister, that I love them in that, but I would not necessarily have them teach this congregation. Why? Because there is enough difference that, again, I don't want to cause confusion. I don't doubt their salvation, but I wouldn't have them stand in the pulpit. I don't know if you can really understand that. I don't know if that's just a pastor's concept or understanding, but you don't want to bring confusion into your congregation. Paul asked the question in verse 13, He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You know, these three questions, well, of course, they're rhetorical. And they expect and and they they actually require a negative answer. Well, no, no, Christ isn't divided. No, Paul wasn't crucified. No, I wasn't baptized in Paul. As a matter of fact, the thought, the, the idea behind is Christ divided? Literally, that word divided, it has with it the connotation of of cutting or ripping apart the physical body of Jesus so that each could have a portion. And even the Corinthians, by by that very grotesque, uh, that statement, they would have been shocked. They would have been appalled at the thought. Is Christ divided? Here, you want an arm of Christ? You want a leg of Christ? No, no. They would have understood what he's saying. There's not a whole lot that they would be shocked by in that culture, but I think they would have been shocked by that declaration. Is Christ divided? And then the very thought of the Apostle Paul being the sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. That would have been absolutely ridiculous. Remember, the sacrifice had to be pure. It had to be holy. It had to be without sin. And yet Paul, as righteous a man as he was, he declares that he himself, he's the chief of sinners. So already that cancels out the possibility that Paul could have been crucified for us. Paul couldn't have even been crucified for himself because he was not the perfect sacrifice, incapable of paying for his own sin, much less the sin of the world. And then Paul asked the question in reference to baptism. He says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
And then he follows it up with that declaration. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, and lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. We're so glad you joined us today on The Open Word for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. You can find more messages from Pastor David and information about The Open Word by visiting our website, theopenword.com. If you're looking for a home church and are in the Casa Grande area, why not join us for a time of worship and Bible study? Calvary Chapel Casa Grande has services each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You can find location information and directions by going to theopenword.com and following the links to the church homepage. Now here's Pastor David with some information on how you can help support the ministry of The Open Word. Hey, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on The Open Word.